Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ultra 64 DD. This is the Ultra 64 podcast deep dive show, special Patreon exclusive, where we are digging into the series of Metroid this time around. That's, and this, this, that's we, we let our we let our patrons choose what series we're going to be digging into. And this time we're doing Metroid. Nice. And holy shit, am I happy about that. <laughs> yeah. And my name is Steve Gunley. Hi, everybody. Hello, I'm Woody Siskowski with my big shoulders. Yes, yeah, such as, big shoulders. Such big about. round shoulders. Yeah, it's, it's symmetrical. That's, that's what they say the most pleasing part of a woman's body is, oh, uh, is the shoulders. The, the gigantic orbs of uh, metal that, uh, that <laughs> are on either side of her head. Yeah. Uh, yes, this week we are talking about... Metroid, uh, and goddamn, am I so excited about yeah, that? Yeah, you it's Unbelievably, said that, Steve. I, I, I need to repeat how excited <laughs> I am. Literal, stop vibrating the desk. Steve. No, I can't. Like, it's gonna be so cool. Uh, these are some of my favorite games ever. Uh, one of the most influential and important series of all time. Yeah. Uh, so much to dig into. So much to talk about. Fun games. That's fun my, games. That's my review. A, a plus. <laughs> a plus all around. Every single game in this series is an A plus. I'm going to stand by that. Let's, sure, let's, we'll see if that, that trend continues. Let's see. I think it's going to not continue on the first game, but we'll oh, see. We'll okay. see. Interesting. Uh, but uh, what are we going to call this series? I, th- I think, I think I uh, we, we were we were fumfering about this. I think it should just be Space Jump. I like Space Jump. All right, Why sure. Why not? Yeah. This, <laughs> that's, I don't know. That's a, sure. sure. Welcome to Space Jump, starring Steve and Woody. Space Jump. This is our knock. This is like our uh, Bolivian knockoff of Space Jam. Yes. Where we get like. Anthony Tony Kukok to, to be like the, the lead player, and be like, "Oh, look, we got the best basketball player ever to come, and he's going to team up with these like Muppet knockoffs." And and then the guy from My Giant is in there. Why not? Yeah, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Wait, did you see Bolivian or Bulgarian? I was hearing. Bulgarian. I don't oh, okay. remember. I don't remember either. But, but you, I don't I don't know. Know. I, I'm surprised you Listeners, had a poll for either of those. Tell us which one is funnier. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but. <laughs> Yes, so let's jump in uh, because I hope I said so Bulgarian because I think that's funnier. I think Bulgarian is funnier. Okay, if I have to say, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I think because it sounds kind of like vulgar. Yeah, like a Vulgarian. Yeah. Anyway. Also, at least, I, well, may let, let's let's move on. No, no, yeah, we're already getting caught on a, on a little ledge here. We can't space jump our way out of it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so before we get started talking about Metroid, the series itself, I wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about the creator because this guy is one of the most influential and important people in the gaming industry, like just outside of Miyamoto, I think, as All far right. as in, in import, importance to the Nintendo brand. Okay. And I think we need to uh, highlight him a little bit. There's a guy named Gunpei Yokoi. Uh, yes, we've we've talked about him occasionally. Occasionally, he'll up. pop up. Uh, so he was born in 1941, and he started working with Nintendo in 1965 when they were still a playing card company. Nice. So he was he started in the mailroom and worked his way up to uh, the the company's premier toy designer. He was responsible for back to back. Number one best-selling Christmas toys in Japan, including favorites of yours, I know, like 
Ultra Hand, 10 billion barrel. Sure. You love that 10 billion barrel. I do love that I've 10 seen billion. You. I I've only seen had 999,000 barrel. Yeah. Um, but once that 10 million barrel came out, I was on it. No, you, you've really upgraded. Uh, and he also did a, a, a home love tester machine, you know? Oh, so, that's handy. You, know, but then you his, can tell his, if you're uh, a hot potato without having to go to the skeezy bar down the, down the way. It's true. It was sad when uh, uh, Grandpa Yokoi died and got lost along the way and got stuck in it, though. But, you know... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, he, uh, we, we have Yokoi to thank for getting Nintendo into the video game business, Wow, okay. which is like pretty fucking huge. Yeah. Okay. Because in 1980, he invented a game called the game and watch yes, uh, a little okay. handheld LCD console that came in a variety of modes. You've got your little stick figure guy and it's, it's all very simple LED it's, games. It's like a, those old tiger electronics where it's just yeah. one game built on the, the handheld. Exactly. I've, I've got a few of them. Rattling they, around they, they actually somewhere. keep, they actually kept time, right? That they was kept why time. They were the game and watch. Yeah. Game and watch. They okay. had a clock and they had a little game that you could play. And then eventually, uh, I had one of these on an actual watch, like, I think they released those in the 90s, like, where you got to play, like, Octopus on your watch or something like that. It was pretty fun. Um, but that that was a big hit. This is also where Yokoi introduced arguably the most significant innovation to video gaming that he ever introduced. And that's a little thing called the D-pad. Ah, uh, yes. A little cross-shaped D-pad. Before this, it was all joysticks, you know? It's a, one of those inventions we take for granted because it's very simple. But Right. I guess the logic there is if you have something that's designed to be portable... The joystick is not super conducive to that because you got this big yeah. thing sticking out of your pocket. Right. You walk around and people are like, hey, what's what's going on down there? You happy to see me? <laughs> yeah, what's going exactly. on? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, after the Game & Watch was a big hit, Yokoi was promoted to oversee the uh, company's burgeoning arcade division, and he was one of the producers on two very early, uh, very big hits for Nintendo. One of them is Donkey Kong, and the other is the original Mario Brothers, the oh, arcade yes. version. yep. Uh, the multiplayer component in the latter was actually Yokoi's contribution. So he kind of helped popularize co-op multiplayer arcade gaming in a, in a small way. I mean, um, it certainly makes sense. All You realize that if you have a two-player arcade game, you can get double the money in the same amount of time. It's true. It's true. Uh, when the NES finally came around, Yokoi made three pretty huge contributions. The first of them is Metroid, mm-hmm. which we will be talking about in a minute. The second is Kid Icarus. Totally which, makes sense. Games I closely associate with one another. They're very similar, yeah. uh, and and they have a similar style. And, you know, Kid Icarus, not as important a game as Metroid, but yeah. it, it was a big early hit for Nintendo. Yeah. And then the third, very uh, arguably the most important thing, Rob the Robot. Oh, yeah. Uh, not even being facetious on that. Rob the Robot uh, is kind of Nintendo's Trojan horse into the video game industry. because. Sure. By this time, when the NES was coming out, the Atari had crashed. The video game market was toxic. Nobody wanted to get into it. Toy stores didn't want to carry them. So Nintendo packaged their NES with Rob the Robot and the Light Gun Zapper and sold it as a toy, not as a video game, as a toy. And it was a very popular toy. And then within a year, they realized Rob the Robot didn't really work. Right. And they stopped selling him. (laughs) But uh, still, an important little dude. I have a Rob the Robot. He does not work. Um, They never work. I have never, I have no idea what Rob the Robot is supposed to do. Like, I, I would be very curious to see one in action and actually play like gyromite or something. They stack but. tops. It's so strange. Like he spins tops, picks it up, moves it to another location. I'm still not entirely clear how it interacted with games. Because what did he have? He had stack up and gyromite were the two Maybe games that worked for it. Maybe didn't interact with games. Might not have interacted with games at all. It might have just sort of done something on its own and then you had to mimic it in the game. But there was no actual like method for the game to compare 
to what Rob had actually done. It might be. And I apologize, kind of listeners, to... if, if, if this is kind of a blind spot for both of us. But like we said, we've never seen a working one. <laughs> like, I, I had one for years that I just kept on my desk because he's cool looking. Yeah. But uh, yeah. That's like a sign of, like, really old games where they n- didn't really program in the ability for the game to know when it was completed. Yeah. Like, old Atari games will have this a lot where it just kind of ends and yeah. like the screen kind of just freezes and then you have to reset the console pretty much yeah yeah it's one of those but you know again like yokoi so important for this early stage of gaming it's and so, like getting nintendo to be the the brand that it was it's so weird to think of that like as as a situation in the sales force where they're like oh we don't want to sell this video game but it's like look it has this plastic thing that moves crap around yeah they're like okay great we'll take them give me three like, I mean, I feel like robots were kind of the thing around this. I think Teddy Ruxpin was kind of a thing at this time. Like, robotic toys that okay. did that. Like, future toys were, were the cool thing. Uh, but in 1991, Yokoi would go on to spearhead the biggest success of his already illustrious career. We've got Metroid. We've got the D-pad. We've got, got Game & Watch. We've got, got Kid miss. Icarus. We've got all this shit. And now he invented the Game Boy. The Game Boy was, for years, the best-selling console on the market. It single-handedly invented the handheld gaming market. It was the dominant console of the '90s. Like wow. it, it weird was to think of. weird to think that 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 console lasted like what? What was it? Twelve years? Twelve years? Yeah, a ridiculous time? amount of time. Yeah, for as basic <laughs> as it was. Uh, sadly, Yokoi left the company on a bit of a sour note because uh, his final project was the ill-fated Virtual Boy, which to date is Nintendo's biggest financial failure. Which, first of all, I think he's earned one. Yeah. At this point, I think he's earned the one. I mean, goof. maybe uh, maybe he didn't necessarily get fired. Maybe he just kind of. They're they're was. unclear on that. I think from what it sounds like, uh, he left because he was unhappy with the way Nintendo marketed the Virtual Boy. They they pushed it out onto the market before it was done. Oh, okay. So that they could reallocate uh, resources to the Nintendo sixty four. Oh. And so the okay. I, I think I think they lost faith in the project and just decided to cut their losses. I wonder And Yoko after like thirty one years at the company was kind of pissed about that. That okay. That's actually an interesting perspective. Like is the virtual that's like the question is the virtual boy unfinished? Because like we all know that it's a pile of garbage, but like what was the technology potentially like could they have gotten somewhere where it was more fun and they just gave up on it i wonder because was it just too early because every game on the virtual boy feels like a tech demo for the virtual boy it right. doesn't feel like a fully fleshed Very out game tech. right yeah it just it's just like whoa look at what this can do oh are you, are you done throwing shells at each other okay that's it that's all we got <laughs> yeah you know oh tennis tennis is fun you like tennis well it's essentially games with the complexity of a game boy game but like on a plat on a console that takes up like more space than your Super Nintendo. Yeah, requires you to hunch over really awkwardly, so your posture is yeah. terrible. Gives you a headache, makes your ears bleed after a while. <laughs> it's all it's a whole bunch of stuff. So uh, yeah, so Yokoi left the company around then. He went to go help with the development of the Wonder Swan, which Ooh, sure. I want to say was is that Tiger? I don't remember who did the mm, Wonder Swan. Ben, Bendai. Bendai. Yes, that's it. That, that was only over in Japan. We never yes. got that over here. Uh, but, uh, tragically, uh, in 1997, Yokoi, uh, was killed in a traffic accident. Uh. He was on the expressway in Japan. Uh, he got into a very minor fender bender. And then when he and the other driver had pulled off to the side of the road, they were getting out to exchange insurance information. Another car came along and hit him. Um, he was 56, uh, died before his time, but I did want to just shout him out because 
we wouldn't have Metroid without him. We right. wouldn't have video gaming as we know it without this guy. Yeah. And uh, I think people need to know a little bit more about him. That's cool. All right, let's dig into Metroid a little bit because I was trying to look up some kind of consistent Metroid canon. Okay. There really isn't Nintendo much. is very, very bad at canon. They're like, very bad. And I think yeah. that might have been... I think the idea of like games coming out at this time, like all of this was kind of like pre the idea of any kind of canon because there was no idea that like, oh, we'll be making sequels yeah. to these games. Like the original Metal Gear, I think, is definitely an aspect of that where you think like, okay, here's here's a creator who puts a lot of effort into canon. But at this point, like all those games just basically were rewritten into canon later. Yeah. They weren't like set up with some idea of like what will come later. And I think the the cool thing about Metroid and also the most frustrating thing is that this is the series of all the early Nintendo games. Like even out even beyond Zelda, I think Metroid is the one with the potential for the deepest lore. Yes. And part of that unknowability is also kind of the appeal yes, of Metroid. Really like it, it, you you don't you don't want to feel like you know everything when you're going in. But it can also be kind of frustrating if you want to dig in and develop a canon like because it's it's being taken piecemeal from a lot of different places there are poorly translated manuals there's manga there's like some german issues of nintendo power and i feel like what happened in, in realms of like talking about poorly translated manuals is i think that people who are writing the u.s content and the japanese content were not even necessarily working together no like sometimes they would just get like a copy of the game in the u.s be like all right we're gonna write a manual from this yeah we don't necessarily know what the backstory is and all that i mean uh in the manual for uh the original metroid samus is referred to pointedly multiple times as a he yeah uh, you know, and I think it's it's just kind of a cheap uh, misdirect, but you know, they because they do include a little note in the bottom saying there is a big surprise ah, if you beat this game in three okay. hours. Um, but here here's kind of the important. I kind of wanted to highlight some of the important recurring characters, races, themes that are going to be coming up, yeah. especially in this episode. So obviously, there's Samus, Samus Aran, uh, and yeah, like I said, we don't even know she's a woman until the very end of the first game. In what is one of the greatest, like, fuck you reveals uh, <laughs> of any video game ever. Like, people wring their hands so much about female-led video games. Will the boys play it? Will the blah, blah, blah. Sure. So it's really cool to see this very early game where you're playing as this badass cyber warrior, uh, kicking ass through space, and then at the very end, pulls off her helmet, long, flowing green hair. Definitely a woman. Uh and and it's just like okay, guess what? You just played as a woman the entire time. Sure, did the, that blow your mind? The design is so weird on the original match, like the original Samus character, like the sprite. I and I don't, we'll get into this when we talk about the the game. But I always thought like when I first played this game because I had no context to what the hell was going on in this game. Yeah, um, I thought you were like this weird bearded thing because mm -hmm. it's it's kind of like that feels like the design almost is like the body is very sort of trim yeah but then there's like this giant head with sort of this orange coloration around the face yeah you were yeah. like this mysterious old elder it's a very strange design it's kind of 
I mean, we'll we'll get into that, but like, yeah. Uh, so the, the the important stuff to know about Samus in the early going it's is also just that she's super bounty hunter. Nintendo's weird trend of naming games not after the main characters. Like, Mm-mm. how how long did it take before you you like? Oh, we played Zelda in these games, and we run around, and yeah. Zelda saves the world, and there's the legend about him. Yeah, exactly. Or, or this game where you play as Metroid, and you run and you defeat the evil Mother Brain as beloved character Metroid. Exactly. Even Kid Icarus. There's no one named Kid Icarus in that game. His <laughs> name is Pit. I don't know. But uh, either way, the important stuff to know about her uh, and that we've kind of gleaned from some games is that uh, she's probably in her mid-20s. Uh, we don't really know too much about her origins, except we know she's an orphan. Uh, okay. Now, some some sources say that her family was killed by Ridley and the Space Pirates when they did a raid on her planet, and then that she was raised by the Chozo. Uh, oh, sure. But then some other stuff says the Chozo have been extinct for hundreds of years, so it, it goes back and forth on that. Do you, I mean, here's a question just in general, is how much do you care? Like, this is, this is I think, the thing that's tricky. There's some series where it's fun to know a lot about it. Yeah. And I feel like part of what makes Samus cool is that you don't necessarily know a lot about her. I, I agree with that, and I, I also push against the idea of her being raised by Chozo just because I think it's more interesting if she's not, like, a chosen one, yeah. if she's not just, like, this faded hero, like, that's written about in scrolls or anything like that. Like, I like that she's just kind of a jobber. Shows yeah. up, like, contracts for the government to take down aliens and bad guys and then goes on with her life, you know? I, I like that vision of her a little better than, like, the faded hero. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think largely I don't want to know everything about her. I think I agree with you on that. And I think that's where some later games that we're going to talk about uh, tend to uh, oversalt the broth, I guess. Well, this this is something that I think is a real strong point for these games in general. And there's a real, I think I feel like this, like 16-bit storytelling is one of my favorite things. Like when games figure out a way to share emotional moments um, in sort of without having dialogue or even without having text with this game does really well. Yeah. Um, because it's like, I felt this way about the Final Fantasy games and like when I started playing Final Fantasy X and there was mm. voice acting and stuff, I was just like, this is just a bad cheesy movie now. It's whereas distracting, like, yeah. Yeah, whereas when I, and like, all, all these characters are dumb. Like, <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do not like Titus. Yeah. Or whatever. Or who, who's the character? Is Titus the character Titus in is 10? The, yeah, he's the main guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, he's just bland and uninteresting. And I'm sure that would have been the case, like, if I, Cecil, like, if I played, the first time I played, like, Final Fantasy 4 would be, sure. like, on PS2, and it had that kind of, like, graphics and presentation. Yeah. So I'm not saying, like, Cecil or something isn't dumb, but you don't notice it at all in that 16-bit storytelling. No, no, not at all. And yeah, I mean, we'll get into that, but I mean, this series is just a masterclass of like minimalist storytelling too. Uh, The next figure we need to know about is Mother Brain. Uh, She was designed as an AI security system by the Chozo. Unfortunately for them, as you do when you're an AI, you gain sentience, you come to life, you wipe out the entire planet by luring the space pirates to your planet, and then you become the de facto leader of the space pirates. Uh, so Mother Brain was kind of the, like, uh, kind of a big iconic bad guy of the NES era, uh, and she didn't really translate beyond, she didn't, she didn't make it into the Prime games. Right, well, she's so distinct in, like, the way she counteracts what you think of, like, as a villain. Like, you would think of, like, a villain as being this sort of giant, imposing thing that, like, moves quickly and, like, I don't know, has a real physical threat. And she yeah. literally is just a brain in a, in jar. a jar. Yeah. <laughs> and, it was just like conducting all these signals like tele- telepathically. Like 
you know, and yeah, yeah. But did you ever watch Captain N? Yeah, yes. Yeah. I know the, she's kind of the master of Captain N, like it's sucked into the game world. Right? Yes. He's just yeah, a regular kid. If, if you've never seen this show, if you uh, existed beyond 1991, uh, it was like a very well, short lived. Meaningfully good taste. Yeah. It was a very short lived, extremely cheap Nintendo crossover cartoon. This normal kid gets sucked into video land where he makes friends with Simon Belmont. Mega Man, Kid Icarus, and some... He wields a blaster. He wields a blaster. And then the enemies are like Eggplant Wizard and uh, uh, Mother Brain. And Mother Brain in the cartoon is voiced by Levy Stubbs, who was Audrey Two in uh, oh. Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, that's, that's good. So casting. he talks like this. Like, this sure. like real campy, like, like mustache twirly kind of villain <laughs> stuff, which is not the Mother Brain in the game. But it, it's it's fun to check that out. Uh, the next important person, Ridley. Ridley's awesome. He's a high-ranking leader amongst the space pirates, usually portrayed as like a big fire-breathing dragon with a spiked tail. Uh, his size and his ability to speak kind of varies from game to game. Like, Oh, it, I didn't know he could speak at all. I thought he just made sort of dragon yelp. Yeah, he, he, well, he's able to communicate in, in some ways, too. And it's, it's, it's implied that he's intelligent. Like, he is like a leader in the organization, but... He only really ever comes across as a monster, but he is kind of seen as uh, Samus's nemesis right. to a larger degree. He appears in more games. He's kind of more the big. There's a bad. lot more that you can do with him. There is, there is, and he was recently added to the Smash Brothers lineup, which is, I think, he's the only non-Samus Metroid character in Smash oh. Brothers so far, right? Yeah, yeah. Because we have three varieties of Samus, and then Ridley. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess Kraid would be next, right? Kraid is next, and Kraid would not fit into Smash Brothers, I don't think, because no. he's too big. Yeah, well, Unless you did the original model where he's this little squat yeah, pig. There's, uh, I feel like they form a cool trifecta of villains, mm. like where Mother Brain is kind of that stationary like mastermind. Kraid is kind of like the big muscle. Yeah. And then uh, Ridley's kind of the more agile, conniving one. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He uh, Craig would be the big dum-dum. Like, the first time you see him in the first Metroid, he is shorter than Samus. He's yeah. this squat little pig-looking thing that, like, throws toenails at you. <laughs> and then, in a very witty reference in, in Super Metroid... Just before you're about to fight the real Kraid, you run into a small version of Kraid. There is even actually a small version of Kraid in the original Metroid as well. Oh, really? There's a fake Kraid in that game as well. Oh, wow. That's small, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you it, kill in one missile. It's a, it's a clever little nod. It's like, okay, this this is about the size of the Kraid that you fought in the original game, and now you're going to go into this room. Oh, and guess what? He's the size of a building. Yeah. Oh, and guess what? He's even bigger than that, because after you shoot him a few times, he's going to emerge from his spike pit. I always liked the name Kraid. I liked the design of him. He's just a big dumb monster. Does, I like big dumb monsters. Does he show up again after Super Metroid? Or he uh, no. appears in the first Prime, I believe. Okay. Or at the very least, you see his body like in in a you scan his body at some point. Sure, like, but okay. I don't think he comes back properly. Uh, then we have the Metroids. The Metroids are kind of the kind of the MacGuffin of Metroid. Weirdly, yeah. like they're they're the threat, but they're never like the point necessarily. And you only ever see the Metroids towards the end of the game unless like it's metroid 2 the metroids uh, are like a weird balance because like they're yeah like you said they're kind of like the end-all goal of like kill the metroids or find the metroids but like once you actually encounter them in the last world they're not very threatening not <laughs> like, really no they kind of just grab onto you and zap your energy but you can freeze them with the beam like instantly and just kind of run past them yeah they never seem very like 
malevolent or angry. I guess that's why they work as a storytelling device, though, because they kind of just they're ex- kind of inert and they're they're just animals. Like yeah, they're not they're uh, being taken advantage of. Yeah, they're they're just kind of parasites. You know, it's it's revealed eventually that they were genetically modified and created by the Chozo to eliminate a virus that becomes the focus of Metroid Fusion. Okay. Like, uh, so, but they Man, got I out of control. Play, I just started playing Metroid Fusion. That game is like talk, 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 talk. It's quite a bit, and yeah. it's hard too. That game's that game's uh, harder than Super Metroid, I think. Okay, maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Uh, the Space Pirates we kind of talked about. There, I'm not. I've never been clear on if the Space Pirates are the name of the species or just the organization. Because they I mostly, think they got to be the name of the organization. Because like, if Ridley's part of the Space Pirates, he yeah. definitely looks different. Then, like, they're all, if we say all the enemies in the Metroid games are space pirates, like, they all look pretty distinct. That's the thing. Like, the the space pirates that you see in the game are kind of mantis-looking. Like, they're about Samus's height, yeah. and they've got little claws Very to cool shoot lasers. Design. Those are in Super Metroid. Yeah. But, like, the first game doesn't have any enemies that even really look like that. Like No, it's sp- all kind of little zoomers and floopers and whatever they're yeah, all zoomers called. zoomers and floopers. Like, zoomers, they are, like, in the manual, they all have really kind of goofy names okay. like that, like Gigaws and Goo Goos. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing we need to know is the Chozo. They are a bird-like ancient race that used to have this empire throughout the entire galaxy, which is why we're going to see them again in the Prime, which okay. takes place in a different planet, and they, they kind of appear in all these different planets. Like, it's amazing. It's so cool... Um the design of the aesthetics that came in of like the weird palette choices, like the similar to the way the original Mario brothers, mm-hmm. when you think about it, like, okay, there's these pipes and there's these question, these blocks with question marks on them. Like it's all very weird, but it's all feels like distinct and cool. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Metroid is probably just behind Mario brothers in terms of like game that has the most distinct and appealing palette for the nes yeah like those those chozo statues where they're just holding this mysterious ball that reveals a weapon like it just looks really cool yeah and like the way that the blocks are designed and the bubbles and things like that all is very distinct and again just with the the wordless storytelling it's like we see these ancient statues and it's all of the same kind of species but we don't really know what these are right and they're appearing in all these planets and they become very important as the game goes on. Uh, by Samus Returns, which is the 3DS remake of Metroid 2, they have little bits called uh, uh, Chozo Memories, where okay. you get to like look back throughout their history and see exactly what happened to them uh, and why they went extinct, because there's been some inconsistency on that. Uh, but really cool design, and it's I like the idea of like this benevolent master race that's just kind of been erased from history. Yeah. You know, like, and All that's left is sort of their architecture. Let's jump into Metroid itself. Uh, Metroid was released in the U.S. on August 15th, 1987. It was developed by Intelligent Systems, published by Nintendo, and it is currently available pretty much anything with a Nintendo logo on it. Uh, I can't think, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's of, lots of different ways to play it. I think it's yeah. on the, virt- the, you know, it's on the NES Classic. It's probably on that Switch Online service. Yep, sure um, it's an unlockable thing on uh, Metroid Zero Mission, I think you can mm-hmm. play it. And Prime, yeah. Yeah, and yeah okay. Yeah, it's all over. It's it's very accessible it's if you want to play it. Very weird. Um, crap, I totally blanked on what I was going to say. Keep going. Yeah, so something uh, is weird. Just, that's just, something put is a pin w- in there. Okay, I'm remembering weirdness. Yeah. Uh, so after the success, oh, yeah, I remember we found the weirdness. Yes, this is something that I just learned, which I feel like we should know more about. Um, the the NES came out so far ahead 
um, in or the Famicom came out so far ahead of the NES in Japan. Yeah. That at some point they had made all these cartridge games initially, and then they said, "Okay, we're just going to make Famicom disk system games." Right. They essentially retired the any or the Famicom in Japan from like 1985 to like 1987 or whatever. Right. Like they only made disk games, and then when the NES came out in the U.S. and the disk system never came out with it, they had to report a bunch of disk games over to the NES itself to put it on a cartridge because they figured out how to put more information on a cartridge. Yeah. That's why, I mean, that's one of the reasons that this game has so much slowdown. Because this game, yeah. especially as you get later in the game and there's more and more enemies, the slowdown is, like, egregious. It gets pretty <laughs> choppy. It gets real choppy. And, it, yeah, it was composed, it was designed to be on sort of a higher, something that could process the sound a little better. And the other thing that's odd and frustrating about this game is it has no disc, no save system built in. It has these passwords, which are we'll get into that in a little bit. But like, boy, they're the thing of nightmares. These Metroid passwords—they're real bad. And yeah, for if you played it on the disc system, it actually had a way to save in game. And this was one of the first games to use a password save system like that because within the next year. Zelda would come out uh, in the uh, in America, and they would have a disc-based backup. They would have a battery backup save inside the cartridge, right. so you could save your game. Huge, huge, huge difference. Yeah, like, can you imagine like the, the how less successful Zelda would be if you had to have these sort of comparable to Metroid passwords? Oof. Yeah, no, I cannot. No, no. A lot of games were doing it this at the time, and it's one of the worst things of retro gaming. I think. Yeah, and Metroid is perhaps most aggressive of all. They have like zeros and O's oh, in the passwords why? as well as different capitalizations. So it's four lines of about... And 24 figures. Yeah, yeah 24 figures with spaces. Yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, uh, so Zelda came out in Japan. It was this big, big hit. And so they wanted to make... Nintendo wanted to make another game that was kind of capitalizing on this open world concept. This idea of... Explore the game in your own pace, like go wherever, like just kind of figure it out as you go. Uh, and they wanted to make a more action-oriented version of that. So the team was hugely into sci-fi, particularly Ridley Scott's Alien. And so they set out to design a dark sci-fi adventure with lots of hints of H.R. Giger's design as a template. You can really see it. Like now, once I like read that, it all clicked into place. Like, oh yeah, this is hugely Alien-inspired. Like. Even the soundtrack, the soundtrack is done by a guy named Hip Tanaka, and he was directly inspired by the very minimalist kind of soundtrack that Jerry Goldsmith did for Alien. Okay. The, so, sound, the soundtrack in this game is super good, like oh. for an NES game. Like, when you go down, it feels very, very epic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the title, it's this really odd portmanteau of Metro and Android, okay. which is strange because the game features no robots transportation yeah no robots no cities uh it's like two things that are decidedly not in the game but i'm not even mad about it because metroid is just a cool spacey word it and it's so distinctive it really sells like what the game is <laughs> yeah. without somehow it kind of does it just yeah uh so the game debuted on the famicom disc system in 1986 as you said came here in 87 went to europe in 88 and u.s players actually caught two different versions of the games so the original gray label cart uh, had some pixelated images from the uh, the game itself. And that game and Kid Icarus both came with the gray label. And apparently that was just supposed to indicate that these games had password backups. Oh, I never knew that. I never yeah. knew that either. 
Um, and then in 1991, we got a yellow label version that came out, and this was kind of uh, part of a push. I don't know if I've ever seen that cover. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a little more rare. They took um, the design of Samus from the cover of Metroid 2, and then they just put that, they took the exact same image and put it on an NES cartridge with like this uh, stylized yellow background. Okay. And then they specify very clearly the original Metroid in like a big sticker. Okay. And they really released. They re-released it to get people excited about Metroid Two. Uh, that makes and sense. It was kind well, of a legacy game at this point. Probably like one thing that Metroid Two does well is it really irons down what Samus's design is. Like she looks much more like the Samus that we know in yeah. Metroid Two, whereas like the design on her is kind of weird in the first Metroid. So they probably would be like, okay, this is actually what Met- what Samus looks like. Yes. Yeah. So. It, it took a little while to kind of codify it. Uh, well, and it, a lot of Metroid, we'll get to it with Metroid 2, but a lot of Samus's designs sprung out of Metroid 2 and the limitations of the Game Boy. Oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, the story-wise, you kind of know what the story of Metroid is. It's going to be the same most of the time. The space pirates have acquired this parasitic alien called a Metroid that had just wiped out an entire planet, and they want to weaponize it. They've taken it back to their headquarters on the planet Zebus, and you need to go in... Uh, as a one-woman army and destroy the space pirates, uh, take out the Metroid, and stop the apocalypse. And how do we know this? Do we just know this from the instruction manual? That from it, the it's... manual. It's also how we know this is the year 20X5. Oh, sure. It I was never... a very good year. Yeah, same year Metro or Mega Man took place. No, uh, 20XD6. <laughs> yeah, 20XD6. Yeah, yeah. It's, I never really knew how to say that like or, or how to interpret that what is 20x5 i don't know because that could it's be weird futuristic lingo of them not having to pin down anything was I it mean, six years ago i mean it could have been 2015 we don't know like, label a year like in a movie it, it always comes back to bite them <laughs> because that year unbearably like comes up yeah and then you're like oh we're not there yet you look dumb robert zemeckis i feel like having a zero in here at all is uh, a bad choice because i don't think we're gonna catch up to metroid <laughs> sure. in this century uh but yeah yeah so that's kind of all we know but really so much of this game works because of its minimalism and because it's not hitting you over the head with any kind of narrative choices right what this game does more so than any game on the NES, I think, is makes you feel alone yep. and scared. Agreed. And underpowered and weak. Like your Samus's original kit sucks. You can yep. barely move. Your your uh your gun doesn't shoot much farther than you can see. <laughs> And uh, anything is going to kill you. Yes, you start with... So in this game, you, 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 you kind of manifest between these two cool pillars. You have 30 health. Most enemies hit you probably take like 8 to 10 health. Yeah, quite a bit. Um, yeah. And yeah, your gun is about the length of two, two arm lengths is, is how far your bullet goes. And you yeah. don't even jump very high. No. Um, and I just... This game, and this is just a symptom of most, me being younger at the time, but also a just part of this game is like I found NES games in general and this one specifically to just be so mysterious Yeah, me because too. I had been used to playing stuff on the Super Nintendo where I'm like oh look I know where this is going like I can tell that like I'm following the path that has been laid out for me where this game you just feel like anything can happen and you're like what the hell is going next I remember having very vivid memories of being so excited that I got to the gold world mm-hmm. in this game, which when I go and play it back and play this game now, that's about three screens in. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It takes yeah. like three minutes to get there. But when I was a kid, I'm like, oh, man, this is a whole new level. I can't believe I made it here. 
This game was one, like, my parents rented it for me alongside Zelda. Uh, again, ambitious to think that they we would play these games over sure. a weekend. But I, I think my siblings and I, we put Metroid in, and I was literally too scared to play it. Because that very, like, sparse, haunting music, that boom, boom, yeah. boom, like... I was creeped out. I was creeped out by how dark it was. I was creeped out by how uh, hard it was. It starts out very hard. Like, it, it's really impressive what a bold gambit this game was looking at it now because I think if you don't know what's coming, if you don't know that you're going to improve and get better and explore and become like the super badass, you would think this game is broken. <laughs> sure. Because like, oh, what? What? My gun doesn't even like shoot very far. I'm not killing anything. The first enemy is wiping me out. Like, yeah. That's pretty bold, uh, and it, it's a pretty it's a pretty confident design choice to like just jump in, just like okay, just just bear with us. Yeah, like there there is this whole genre that's sprung up from Metroid games, Metroidvania, you know, which is a portmanteau from Symphony of the Night and uh, and which I always feel yeah. like is kind of a disservice to Metroid, being as like Metroid got there so much before, so much earlier. It's <laughs> yeah, a little bit, and that. Uh, I always thought that was Jeremy Parrish from Retronauts who invented that. Uh, he says no. He says that was uh, his coworker Scott Sharkey who invented that okay. term. So uh, credit to Scott Sharkey. I used, sure. I used to read his stuff at One Up Two. Uh, one Up Two. One Up Two. A sequel to One, one up, up as well. Okay. Um, but you know, th- this whole genre has kind of sprung up with this idea of of like an exploration adventure platformer kind of thing. Well, because like, it's like games would have secrets. Like you would play yeah. Mario Brothers and you'd be like, oh, do you know about this like minus world? Or, you know, if you hit this block, there's a one up. Mm-hmm. But like you would still just play the game and get to the end as your main goal. But Metroid and Zelda are basically take the philosophy like, what if the game, what if the secrets were the game? Yeah. Like what if you literally could not proceed without bombing like these obscure areas of the map and this is this is actually i like i like this game a lot it took me it took me years to sort of warm up to the original metroid because this game really you you really need to set the mood yeah if you you light some candles you set yourself a little bubble bath you sit down you play some metroid like here let me let me lay out the keys for actually playing metroid okay one beat this thing in one sitting like it's not a very long game it's, Easier said than done, by the way. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, even if you're wandering around, it'll probably take you three hours. Yeah. Um, but, like, if you stop playing, you're just going to forget where the hell you were. You're going to have to remember these crazy passwords. You're going to get so confused. Like, obviously, you can use save states now, so that makes it much easier. But you still, if you don't keep sort of this map in your head, yeah. you just get so confused. Um, you feel free to, you can also consult the map if you get totally lost and try not to die. Try that not is to my die. other hint. Like, even though it sends you, you don't necessarily lose any items, which is very nice. You just get set back to 30 health, like with no energy tanks and you have to refill all your health, which takes very long. And that's, that's kind of where I was going with this. Like, like this, this is called a Metroid, like the genre is called a Metroidvania, but I don't think it started here. I think this feels more like a roguelike to me. Okay. Because it's got that same kind of like rinse and repeat sort of style. You get a little bit further each time. You get If you make it to a certain threshold, then you get an upgrade that you get to keep, which will make your next run easier. Okay. Uh, but you are always going to have to start back at the beginning, and the game is not going to show you any mercy whatsoever. I think I have played this game enough that I can kind of make it through the earlier parts long enough 
to um to to make it through because yeah once you sort of cross this threshold and get like the various suit you can get the various suit somewhat early in the game by like using cheapo tactics of yeah. uh, freezing enemies and standing on them um which cuts the damage you take in half mm-hmm. um which th- then you can kind of like make it through the game much easier this game has so many like weird choices it's just so weird to be like okay your screw attack and your various suit two like super key items to metroid they're both just kind of hidden above these totally nondescript hallways yeah like this room that seems to have nothing aside from connecting two other doors you just shoot this random block and you're like oh yeah no visual clues no like sometimes metroid games will have like a crack in the wall or some no visual clues yeah, in the first here's this super clutch item that you need to move forward in the game or actually like survive and that's uh, this game is such a push and pull of like frustrating and old sort of design of like sort of dealing with the constraints of the system being frustrating, but also being kind of the appeal of the game. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, as you said, no visual cues. Not only that, so many of the rooms are just totally reused. And oh, yeah. I'm sure that that is like a space saving thing. I'm sure it takes up less programming space to just be like, all right, enter this door and re-enter this room as opposed to having to design a full new room. Yeah, but the end result is like some rooms like look identical to others have a random secret in the ceiling or a spot that you can bomb, and it gets so easy to get lost. Like when you look at a full map, like a full screenshot of the map, yeah. a, this game's not that big. No, um, but with all the rooms being cloned, you can just sort of totally get lost in terms of where you are. Well, it's this is a difficult game to go back to from a gameplay standpoint if you're used to playing more modern Metroid games like I was. Okay. Like, uh, I think because it is so jarringly different in its style, it's so much harder than it is later games. Yep. You don't have a map, no, which is really a that's a that's a big challenge uh, to it's overcome. To say the least, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, this game is kind of. I think this came out well before Nintendo Power was a thing, but this would no. be. Or when did Nintendo Power come out? Well, I guess in the U.S., like it certainly would have come out earlier in Japan. Okay, but I, yeah. early Nintendo Powers, I think, had Metroid maps. I was gonna say, like this is this is this would be ideal an ideal Met, uh, Nintendo Power game because they would have those maps in there. Like that's how I got through Castlevania. That's how I got through. Still, you know. one of the weird joys of like if you want a way to like just really hit that nostalgia itch, like you can find old Nintendo Powers on like archive.org. Mm-hmm. Like just boot it up on your tablet or something and like read through the maps as you're trying to play one of these old games. It makes it a it makes it a lot of fun. And like yeah. that to me is the way to play Metroid because you'll I don't know, like this game is so frustrating, like due to those difficulties, but once you sort of break through it, like this is a totally unique experience and you feel very accomplished, like making your way deep into these dungeons. Cause yeah. it's like this game that scared you so much as a kid, you're like, oh, look, I like kind of get it now. I understand the layout, and now I have all these sweet items, and I'm yeah. just like destroying Ridley. Like, it really feels like an accomplishment. It does. And I, I will confess here now, uh, it is not an accomplishment I have ever accomplished. I have never beaten the original Metroid. Uh, it, it's, I don't know. I, I, I think I need to keep working at it because uh, I'd like to. It's, it's one of those frustrating things that I've just gotten, I've gotten close, but I've never actually beaten the final game okay uh yeah i think you should do it i think i think it's a game worth visiting i don't think i think once you sort of get into the mindset it does not feel like homework at all yeah even though the the beginning can be kind of a grind um 
you just have to really sort of wrap your head around, okay, where am I? I just got to stay focused on what item is what, and you just can't, you don't necessarily multitask when you play Metroid. Right, exactly. And yeah, we've, we've touched on it a little bit, but we do definitely need to discuss how this is one of the first, one of the earliest, one of the most iconic female gaming characters. Uh, I think one of the first humanoid female gaming characters. We had Miss Pac-Man before sure. this, but no one's going to be, you know, assuming she's a real lady yeah, unless, yeah. you know, real ladies don't have bodies. Um, <laughs> that's my that's my new bumper sticker. Yeah, real, real ladies, real don't, ladies have don't have bodies. And then so. there's a picture of like a sexy female ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dots, power pellets, or pretzels. No one rides for free. Yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, and in in very telling gaming industry fashion, it took almost no time for them to sexualize her. Yeah, like almost I, immediately. Like you get. This is a strange choice. It's a strange choice. So. Uh, if you there, there are five different endings to this game, which is this is this is also another aspect another big super innovative this big game out, when you think yeah. about like how popular speedrunning is. Like this is a game that has speedrunning built into the design. Oh yeah, absolutely, and that was a pretty huge thing. Like the di- the endings are kind of minimally different, but they you are going to see something different depending on how fast you beat this game. Mm-hmm. So if you take like I think between three to five hours, you get the bad ending. Uh, if it's less than three, yeah. you get... She takes off her helmet. She takes off her, her helmet. Head, just her head, and you're like, oh, it's a woman. And then less than two, she takes off her armor, and then less than one hour, you see her in a full bikini. Yeah. So your reward for doing well at the game is to see this hero get more and more naked, which is not something you would see them do to, like, Bimmy and Jimmy and Double Dragon or anything <laughs> like that. Like, you know, it's... it's you just uh, call him Bimmy and Jimmy? Yeah, I call him Bimmy because okay. there's a typo in one of the uh, <laughs> okay. one of the Double Dragon games. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, so like yeah, like it's such a weird choice. Like I I like the idea of the reward of like you're progressively like seeing more of her outfit and like you know seeing more oh this who this character is. But then yeah, that last one where she goes from basically just having a you know a skin tight suit that would obviously go under the power suit. To sure. Like, oh now she's in a bikini and there's her midriff. It's yeah. just like it seems odd. It seems like it's a like weird they, reward. They, they just can't quite help themselves yeah. and. I was frustrated to see it's still a thing, like as far as like zero mission, like right. you know, there, there's a lot of emphasis put on like, ooh, this isn't just a lady, this is a sexy lady, boys. Uh, don't yeah. worry, you don't need to feel weird. You can ogle her; it's fine. <laughs> so I don't know. I think it's just it's very telling and it's very kind of symptomatic of the gaming industry. That's like, oh, female gaming hero. Oh, this is groundbreaking. Let's put her in a bikini. Right. Yeah. There's your reward, boys. Uh, so, Especially because that's so out of step sort of with the rest of the game. Oh, very like. much so. But this does lead to one last thing when you talk about the original Metroid. We've touched on the horrible, horrible password system. Yeah. 24 figures. It's crazy. What bullshit is that? It's super bullshit. But uh, that does lead to some very iconic oh, cheat yeah. codes in this yeah, game. that's right. Uh, one of them is the Narpus Sword cheat code. So you just type in the word Narpus, N-A-R-P-A-S, sword, followed by all zeros, and you will be invincible. You'll have unlimited missiles. And uh, you'll never drop below thirty health, which makes the game infinitely easier. You can also jump literally st- infinite. You can you can literally jump straight to Mother Brain and like end the game immediately okay. if you want to. Uh, so that's a popular option if you want to like dig in and explore a little bit and get the lay of the land. Right. And then the other, the most famous cheat, one of the most famous cheats of all time, the Justin Bailey cheat. And there's a lot of misconception about what this. I believe thing I had means. to correct you on this one, right? You had to correct me, and I don't even know if that was right either, because oh. like. There, there are a lot of different ideas, but uh, 
entering Justin Bailey into the password system with all blanks after that will let you play as Samus in her bikini. Uh, right. outside of her armor, like just running around with a little gun arm. You and know? I, so, think, I think she plays the same as plays, she does. Plays yeah. exactly the same. It's just the, kind of a reskin. So the common misconception for a long time, and this is what I thought, is that Bailey was like British slang for bathing suit. And so this ah. was saying just in Bailey, she was only in her uh, bathing suit. It doesn't super make sense that a Japanese development team would, would like British use slang. British like, and I don't even think this is actually a British slang. I had word. also heard that Justin Bailey was the name of some contest winner who See, got to the, have their name put in, and that but, one's also not true because right. that uh, that one's being conflated with like the link to the past. There is a uh, there is a contest winner in that game, okay, like that hidden cave that has the guy's name written in it. So I, I read uh, uh, they did an investigation on this on mental floss, which kind of prides themselves on digging into the esoteric roots of these things. And the closest thing they could find is that this was just a random dumb coincidence. Some kid named Justin Bailey in the Midwest just entered his name into it just to see what would happen. Like I knew it was random, but that's an interesting story about how someone came up with it. He just, he just typed his name in and, and then he sent this code in to Nintendo power who published it and then ran with it. And people just kind of ran with it from there. This is just really dumb chance. Like the developers did not program this in here. Well, no, none of the passwords would have been like, you don't program in passwords because it has to decide like how many missile tanks do you have? Yeah. It just like, if you have 230 missiles, then put a V here. Right. If you're at this level or if you, you you know, it just is randomly assigned. Yeah, no, but this this wasn't an Easter egg that the developers ever intended people to have. They're like, ooh, oh, I type in this and you're going to be naked Samus. It's right. like, this is just a random dumb coincidence that kind of became one of the most famous cheat codes of all time. I can't like, remember. Is there a way to unlock uh, Bathing Suit Samus in the game, like through gameplay means? Like if you... No, okay. no, no, I don't think so. You only see her in that cutscene. otherwise. So just a random crazy thing. Like what are the odds of that working out yeah, like so odd it, there may i mean and even mental floss was saying like this is the best answer that we have mm. it may not necessarily be what's true but this is the best answer that we have it's not the bathing suit thing it wasn't an intentional thing by the developers so this is kind of the best shot that we've got okay um anyway that's a lot about metroid but there's a lot to metroid yeah uh, no it's a, it's it's a cool weird game that really is a blast from the past i do wonder how many people actually beat Metroid without like consulting maps yeah. or or things like that? Because you would, I mean, this game is, you know, if you know where you're going, it's designed to be beaten in less than an hour. But it, there's so many just like archaic secrets and just random places that you need to bomb that it's hard to believe someone would figure this out. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And, and that's just 35 years of playing around with it and figuring stuff out. People are probably still discovering well, stuff well, in this they, game. They, they, they totally are. Yeah. I mean, it's a, Metroid is so beloved in the speedrunning community because there's so many weird glitches and stuff that people discover and yeah. just out, ways to just bypass huge sections of the game. I think that's one of the like few like longer speedrun videos I ever watched all the way through. Somebody did... They beat all of Metroid Prime in like with every item in like ninety minutes. Yeah, and it was insane. Yeah, uh, those are insane. Well, let's move on to uh, the redheaded stepchild of this crop of games we're talking about today: uh, Metroid Two: Return of Samus. Mm-hmm. This was released in November of nineteen ninety one. 
developed by Nintendo R&D 1 and published by Nintendo, and this was exclusive to the Game Boy. So, is this like, on the Virtual Console? I don't I think, think it, it would is. be on the Virtual the 3DS Virtual 3DS Console. 3DS Virtual Console. I don't console, think that Game, game which, Boy games are on the Switch. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately not. So, yeah, like I said, this one's kind of the black sheep of the Metroid family. I think it gets a bit of a bad rap. I think this is a pretty cool game for what it's trying to do. I mean, this game is uh, in a tough situation. Like, it is. Like you said when, we were to, when you were talking about Gunpei, um... Game Boy was the most popular system at the time. Yeah, yeah. So it's not surprising that like they would want to put some of their flagship series there. Um, but I feel like this is in a weird spot because like when we talked about Contra and we played uh, Super C on the Game Boy, yeah. that very much, even though it's a Contra game, it feels like a side story. Sure. You're like, okay, this is like Game Boy Contra. And like Super Mario Land, very much the same thing. You're like, yes. This is Mario, but it feels like its own like weird thing. I don't feel like I'm missing out on like the next big Mario game if I don't play this. Whereas this game definitely is like this is the next Metroid game. And it's you can- want yeah, it's yeah, canonical. It's can- it bridges the gap between the games. You want to keep up with what Samus is up to? You better get this for your Game Boy, and this right. is the only way to play it. Yeah, and there was this big push like this was going to be kind of the killer app of the Game Boy at the time because you know. Super Mario Land was out. That was big. Tetris came with the game, which was obviously massive. Uh, and then this was going to be kind of a, uh, a a big technical leap forward yeah. for the system. This is what it could do. They wanted to show that not only was this, not only could this compete with the stuff on the NES, this looked better. This looked better than anything you could have on the NES. Uh, yeah, and that's, uh, a, I mean, that's kind of an interesting like way to think about it. Because if you look at these sort of side by side, like this game does look better yeah. than the NES. Like the Samus design looks looks really good. She looks a lot like she does in Super Metroid. She takes up a large percentage of the screen. Yeah. Like the blocks around the side are much more detailed than the uh, NES Metroid. Mm-hmm. But to me, like... And, it just it does not have the same like artistic cleanliness no. that the NES one does. Like this is a very bland looking game, and I feel like that is what really holds me back on. It. That's the struggle a little bit. But this game uh, did introduce a lot of important elements that would become staples of the series. For one, uh, you can now crouch and shoot, yes. which is very important. Which was and very frustrating also, in the original Metroid is like enemies are crawling around on blocks at sort of your ankle level and you're unable to shoot them. Right. You just got to wait until they like wander around till they're in your one eye line. You can yeah. shoot up in that game, but not can, down. Right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. So that one was frustrating. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, it was also probably a necessity because like we said, the Samus sprite in Metroid 2 is huge. It's yeah. like fully like a quarter of the screen is yeah. taken up by Samus. Uh, and it's a great character design, but still, you need to be able to crouch and shoot now. Yeah. Um, and there are now two distinct jumps that Samus can do, which is something that will continue for other 2D games. You can either do kind of a standard little hop, or you can do a flip. I and think that's in the original Metroid as well. The, really? The, yeah, that ability to jump in that way. Okay, all yeah. right. I, maybe I'm just saying I'm, I'm remembering it only being as like the flip, but I nope, could be you wrong can, about you can that. No, you can do you ha- you occasionally have to do regular jumps because you need to step on enemies as platforms, and you oh, don't you're right, accidentally you're right, screw you're right, you're right, them. absolutely. Um, but so a lot of Samus's design was solidified here, and like I mentioned, it was because of graphical limitations. So in the original Metroid, when you activate your missile shooter, Samus changes color. Yeah. She goes from like orange and red to pink and white. With, which is a you really know, normal human color. Sure, and I I always I really liked that design because you can kind of, if you visualize it like in a, a human person wearing this suit, you could see it like lighting yeah. up there and yeah, like everything true. kind of color changing. It looks cool in my mind. 
Um, but we couldn't do that because we're working with gray and white or green and white or whatever we call right. the color palette on the Game Boy. So we needed to express like differences in her suit physically. So now when you shoot rockets, like a little tip of your gun opens up. And oh, this okay. is the design yep. that's going to continue throughout the rest of Metroid. And when you get a new suit, you can't just change color like you did in Metroid. So we get the gigantic shoulder-like balls that yeah. are on either one of her shoulders. And that is now canon. That's how Samus looks. It's a it's a pretty cool, distinctive, and like very weird design uh, that I like a lot. Um, There's also big giant shoulder pads. A couple new items that show up in this game, like the space jump, um, yeah. which I feel like is um, kind of kind of essential to Metroid, being as it's such a unique item because like it's an item that lets you literally jump jump infinitely. Yeah, which is not something that you see in many games. It's super cool. It's just this little floaty little jump. You you get to the top of your jump and then you hit jump again and just whoop 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 whoop. And, and yeah, once you get it, you just kind of if you get that and the screw attack, you just kind of jump. It's fun. Like you get that and the screw attack, like not necessarily early in the game, but like sooner than you would think. Mm -hmm. Because once you get both of them, you just sort of jump through levels and just wipe out enemies along the way. You also get uh, the spider ball in this game, which does not show up later in Super Metroid, and I think for good reason. I remember this item is super cool. Like when yeah. you get it, you, you can go into your morphing ball and then like turn sticky by pressing down and climb all around the walls. Right. The problem is uh, there's a couple problems. One, this game has very big sort of cavernous levels, mm -hmm. like the way. The levels, the rooms were designed in the original Super Metroid. They kind of just went up or down or left and right. Yeah. Um, so it was very easy to sort of stay focused on where you needed to go. Here, they're just sort of a lot of big, wide open areas that have entrances and exit and sort of like upper upper corners of the level. Yeah. Um, and so it can be very easy to get lost with a spider ball. And it just generally moves very, very slow. Like to traverse entire ceilings with the spider ball takes a lot longer than it should. Right. Yeah. And then I, they do bring it back in prime, but they limit it significantly. Right. Now, it's like now you, you can, can only, only crawl on certain tracks. Right. Which it, I think is like a better the very application. Obvious. That's sort of like the big change in game design in general is it's like, Areas where you can use these special items are just very, very clearly marked. You don't have yeah. to like figure out how it works on its own. It's like Super Metroid does does that a lot. They're yeah. like, oh, you hit this, you hit this block that's in your way, and it reveals a speed booster like symbol saying you need to use speed booster here. Sure, You're like I can solve that puzzle. Yeah, yeah, just get a thing, do it, run into it. Yeah, exactly. You know, so uh, the the other important thing to note about this game is that uh, the Game Boy Color was actually designed using Metroid 2 as a template. Okay. So if you play Metroid 2 in a Game Boy Color, it's going to look uncommonly good. It's going to look better than most Game Boy games. Just kind of like... Because it makes the, the conversion really, really beautifully. So uh, and, uh, that's the way to play it if you can. Yeah, but it's this game is just hard because it's got, to me, like the, the difficult parts about the original Metroid are exacerbated by this game a lot. Right. Um, because there's no color, at least in the default game. Even when you play on a Game Boy Color, like there's still not much contrast. So it can not be much. very hard to tell the rooms apart. Um, Which was already a bit of a struggle in the first Metroid, too. Right. But like at least you had 
you had some more differentiation in textures and varieties. And I just, yeah, to me, the environments are not very interesting in this game and the music of this game, not that the Game Boy is ever like renowned for its music, but the music ranges from non-existent to bad. Yeah. Like it's just a lot of very kind of screechy beeps that are not necessarily atmospheric. Yeah. And it, I don't know. And there's also just a lot of big open areas with no enemies. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Lots of that. That just feel like, you're like, man, why is this? Why do I still have to keep going this way? Well, so the, let, let me jump into the story of this game. Yeah. It'll, it'll get into the gameplay, and there's a yeah, kind of cool. a different gameplay hook here yeah. that uh, uh, needs to be mentioned. So if if original Metroid is alien, then this one is aliens, right? They're they're pretty much just continuing yeah, that that's true. analog. Like in the, the original Metroid, you only see the met you see about ten Metroids at the yeah. end of the game, and that's the only time you see them. But this time they're even kind of following a similar plot because the Galactic Federation, which kind of oversees the whole galaxy, they have sent a team to SR388, which is the asteroid colony where the Metroids are from. And they send a team in there to look for any remaining Metroids and take them out. And the team goes missing. Okay. And so Met- Samus has to go in and investigate what happened. And of course, we find a whole bunch of dead soldiers <laughs> and a whole bunch of Metroids that have spawned off of them because that's how they reproduce. Oh, they they, they you, eat your life force. That's why you see like the Metroid shells that have cracked open. Exactly. And so for the first time, we're seeing the different evolutionary stages of the Metroids. There are five different like types of Metroids that you're seeing throughout the game. They go from uh, regular to like Alpha, Gamma, Zeta, uh, whatever. So like, and so now she has to hunt down and kill 47 Metroids that okay. are hidden throughout this asteroid uh, in order to take down the mother Metroid and stop them from propagating. Uh, I do want to spoil the ending a little bit just because it leads directly into the next game. Sure. But at the end of the game, you defeat the mother Metroid. You find the very last Metroid egg and it hatches right in front of you. And the baby Metroid imprints onto Samus as its mother. Okay. And so Samus can't bring herself to kill it, so she traps it in kind of this uh, uh, cryogenic solution and brings it to a lab, and that's where Metroid 3 picks up. Okay. It's Yeah, and I think that the designs of the... Like, this is a cool, weird premise. Is you'll, like, when you land, you'll see this counter at the lower right hand of the screen that just goes down whenever you kill a Metroid. Yeah. And this game is divided into chunks. Like, mm. they they smartly... In, in order to make this game... Th- this game is easy to get lost in, but in order to make it not so ridiculous, um, it's divided into chunks. So, like, your first level as you go down, there might be, like, six Metroids that you need to kill in this area that's available. And you'll go down and you'll, like, hit this lake of lava or acid and you're unable to proceed. Mm-hmm. But then if you kill these six Metroids, you'll hear this earthquake. Yeah. Um, and then you go back and you say, oh, that lava that was there is now gone and I can go deeper. And it only goes away if you've killed all the Metroids in this area. So yeah. what that means is you can't like get towards the end and be like, shit, I'm short one Metroid. I have to go all the way back to the beginning. And that's, that's actually pretty smart. Like it's that's really a pretty smart. smart organic way of, uh, maintaining the map. Yeah. Because that's. That's what the, this game has much more progressive momentum than always Metroid does. Deeper. You have You're a, like always know you got to go down. Yeah, you always have a goal and you have a goal very clearly laid out in your HUD and it tells you exactly how many things you have to do to beat the game. Uh which is cool. Like I like having a good checklist, you know. I think it 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 maybe strips some of the mystery and some of the exploration elements right. out of it that I really like from the original, but it's it's not a bad idea, and it, I like that they're trying something a little different for the second one. Yeah, I think that it's pretty a pretty necessary way to do it since this game is much easier to get lost in. Yeah, you know, and the problem is that 
the little Metroid detector that you have in the bottom of your screen, it's just a little blinky thing that'll start going off when you're in rooms. It's a little inconsistent. It'll start blinking when you're near something, not necessarily when you're in the same room. And so it will send you on a little bit of a hot and cold goose chase, which uh, can be pretty frustrating, especially if you understand like Metroid map layout, sometimes you're going to fall into a pit. And like, (laughs) just because something's laid out on the map doesn't mean that's the way you can access it. You know, you're going to have to come up with your own routes through different like secret ways. Uh, And so there could be a lot of backtracking there. And like you said, the environments on the Game Boy screen look pretty samey. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty easy to get confused and lost. Like, I don't think SR388 has the same kind of visual fidelity that Zebus does in yeah. either of these games. No, yeah, it's very clear why they decided to go back to Zebus for, for Super Metroid, because the design is just a lot more interesting. And the Metroids themselves that you fight, because that's kind of like the focal point of this game, is whenever you go and find a new Metroid, um, there's like a little mini boss fight. Yeah. Um, There's just not enough different types of them. Like when you said like seven sounds like a lot, but the vast majority... Well, it's only five, yeah. yeah. The vast majority that you fight are these Alpha Metroids, which is weird that they are a farther stage along than the sort of Orb Metroids we're used to because they are much easier to kill. Like, they kind of just look like little crabs that have, like, this orb in their stomach. Yeah. And they just kind of fly at you and you kill them with five missiles. And then there's... Uh, yeah, the- so, like, the squishy jellyfish-looking Metroids are kind of larvae. Okay. And then yeah. they they develop uh kind of like carapaces as they go. They yeah, just get a little big a little bigger and a little tougher. A little yeah. crabby. Yeah. Um, little and crabs. then the other one the next one that you find are like a little bigger and they have like a little phalange mm-hmm. that sort of they just chase after you and whack you at this phalange, which can also kill your missiles. Yeah. Um but all of these are just kind of variations. Flange. I like the I yeah. like the word phalange. Sorry. Uh, they're all just kind of variations on Metroid flies at you and you jump away from it and turn around and shoot it with missile. Yeah. Like none of them feel necessarily strategic. The only thing that kind of changes sometimes is the environment that you fight them in. Yeah. And I totally get that there's very strong limitations on what you can do with a Game Boy. Um, But it's a shame that none of them are necessarily more fun to fight. It's true. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm excited to talk about the 3DS remake that came out a couple years ago because one of my favorite things, like I, I feel like I get irritated when people try to remake good games, good movies, good TV shows. Like I feel like you should remake the ones that had good ideas, but yes. were executed poorly. No, this, this game is like, you would say, even if that remake didn't exist, you'd say, boy, this game really needs a remake. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, Oh, cause the, the, the seeds are here for like a super cool game that I'll like a lot. And spoiler alert, I do like it a lot when it gets remade and done a little better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll 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 ready to move on past Metroid Two. I think yeah, it's, I'm just it's saying, a small game. We could spend a little less time on that it's one. It's no surprise that this was a game that you know tried to get renewed, remade by like fans. Yeah, and then that got shut down. That's and then right. Actually remade by Nintendo because I, to me this is a tougher game to go back to than the original Metroid. It is. Yeah, it's less fun and uh, also my my Game Boy cart still has the original saved game from whoever played it last nice. time. So. I don't know where I am or where I'm going or sure. anything. I kind of, if sure like there's you said, a way with, to delete the game, right? There must be. I don't know, but like the, like you said, with Metroid, like you want, like you need to do it in one sitting, or at least you need to start from the beginning so that you've got. As basis. soon as you lose the gas of where am I and what happens next, it's so hard to go it back is. into these games. It really is. But let's talk about a game I have no problem getting back to. Yeah. Super Metroid, Ooh, released boy. April 18th, 1994, developed by Intelligent Systems, published by Nintendo, 
And it was SNES exclusive at the time, but once again, available most places. It's on the Mini, it's on the, the Switch Virtual Console, it's it's pretty much everywhere. Oh boy, I have Super a question Metroid. For you, yeah. Is this the best game ever made? I think it's the best game ever fucking made. Yeah. I think this is among the, uh, yeah, at least, I don't know, it, it's, it's one of those things, I don't think it's a perfect game. I just think it's the best game ever made. Sure. I think it's my favorite game ever I, made. Uh, sometimes I, I think, it, like, if you were to come up with a list, I feel like it's hard to sort of categorize, like, what are the the best games ever, but I feel like you could pretty easily come up with a list of games that could be the best game ever. You know exactly. what, you know what I'm yeah. saying? There's, like, there's going to be room to differentiate, but I think this is one that needs to be in the conversation at right. the very least. Exactly, because like, at some point you're comparing apples and oranges in terms of what games do differently, but this sure. game it performs at such a high level, and like considering when it came out, it's amazing how much stuff this game does. It's, it's just a master class of video game storytelling. Like in a, and and in pacing. A, in pacing like, and, and letting you like like guiding you without holding your hand, like let it never right. making it so that you never feel like you're lost necessarily, but you do need to figure it out on your and own. That's, that's where that's the balance. That's the design that this game really like those criticisms that we had of the, the first and second Metroid of just sometimes you just feel aimless. You get totally lost and it's like, but that's also the appeal of Metroid. Yeah. This game keeps that and keeps that atmosphere and feeling of, alone but you're like you have a map yeah. that shows you where you haven't been and like they label things to be like okay you need to shoot this with a missile to get through and just like the level design is so much smarter and like it teaches you so well like there'll be a level where like you get i don't know like a super missile yeah and you're like, I can't get out of this area. And then you go and you get a super missile and you're like, oh, I can get out now. I understand how this works. Right. Like, each new time you get an item, it teaches you how, what that item does right there. So organic yeah. and just really perfectly executed. Like, And this is a game that's able to convey so much story and so much world building without saying anything. Right. Sometimes so you just text. walk in and see how a room is designed and you get such a good idea of like, what this room is, where yeah. it came from, how it came to be here. And sometimes you're left with more questions than you have answers, but that's fucking so good. I love it. And yeah, like original Metroid, they would just recycle the same room over and over. Like Norfair, the fire level or whatever, like you get a real good vibe of what that is in original Metroid, but then you're just seeing the same version, like two versions of the same room over and over. Yeah. Like here, you not only get a great version of what Norfair is, but all the rooms are different. Yeah. Like you, you enter a room and you're like, oh yeah, I remember this room. This game does this really cool thing where like the first section of the world when you get to Zebus is the last section of Metroid. You're walking through yeah. the old abandoned facility where you killed Mother Brain previously. You're walking past the rubble that you left last time you were here. That, that's always amazing to me of like, it's that's such like a show off move of like, hey, remember when you did this? This is just a tiny, tiny part of the game. Like Dragon Warrior 2 has that yeah. um, where like, You'll walk through like you'll see the level of the for the world of the first Dragon Warrior, and it's just like a very small percentage of the map that took yeah. up that whole other game. Portal Two does the same thing. Like, yeah, I I love that move when they can do that. It's like, oh look, this is what the old game was. Now we're in the gigantic extra super version of what it was always meant to be. Right. And again, this is kind of I've, I think I've brought up this metaphor in the past or this comparison, but it's like it's like Evil Dead One versus Evil Dead Two, like. This isn't a sequel to Metroid necessarily. I mean, I mean it, it is. is. A, it's a sequel. 
it's also kind of like a soft remake. It's also, it's just kind of like, it's the game they wanted to make in their heads and the technology wasn't there. It, or the it's money the road warrior to Mad Max. It's that, that's, that's even better. That's even better. Yeah, it's that. It's, it's the, the refinement and perfection of the vision that they always had, but couldn't really execute with the limitations they had at the time. I was noticing when I was playing this game too, I played this game maybe uh, seven or eight times mm-hmm. over the years. Like I, I break it out every couple of years. I, I don't play any other game like I do Super Metroid. I play Super Metroid with my whole body. <laughs> like I, I am like fully focused. I am in, and you know me, I'm not a focused person. You are not a focused person. I am not a person who can maintain eye contact or sit still very well or do much of anything. <gasps> But when I play Super Metroid, my whole body is tense. Like I'm twisting in my seat. I am like I'm timing my moves so specifically and so precisely. And it's just because I'm I'm in it and I'm feeling the tension. I'm feeling the stakes of everything going on in this game. In terms of like that intangible feeling you get from playing a game, Super Metroid just really can't be replicated. And it feels like a cop out. Like you could say. <laughs> Some something kind of like uh, like Castlevania Symphony of the Night. I think you could make an argument that it's a better game than Super Metroid, like because yeah. it's, it's it's refining so many of the things that Metroid does. It just doesn't have that same exact feel. And oh. and Symphony of the Night has its own feel. It's got its own style. And like the environment and the design of Symphony of the Night is so blando compared to this game. Like that's the other thing that's so awesome about this game is like the aesthetics of this game are just totally, totally oh, unique. Like, simply yeah. in the night, you're like, yeah, you got a sword, you're fighting vampires. It's like, yeah, yeah. you're in a castle. You're in a castle. It's like, great, I know what this looks like. Yeah, it's going to be rooms, it's going to be different wings. It's all going to look like the inside of a house to some degree, yeah. Yeah, like this game has such just a bizarre mix of like surprises that come out of nowhere in terms of like, the, the first boss that you fight is this weird sort of like giant fungal spore that yeah. just like, sort of drops down on you like a yo-yo and then later you like fight this a ghost in this abandoned ship oh man There's okay I, I want to talk about the wrecked ship the wrecked because ship like scared the shit out of me the, the wrecked when ship I first encountered it. section is uh, is kind of what i'm talking about when this is such masterful storytelling because we never get an in-game excl- explanation it's of what the ship the is ship. like was uh, we don't know anything was this like the ship that brought the metroids here was this the chozo ship was this completely unrelated how long has it been wrecked is this the remnant of some ancient civilization when you go inside it's haunted by ghosts which you don't see anywhere else and like it's such a cool section because you get in there and everything is dead you get to a save room and you can't save because the power's out like so you have no safety net in here and you basically can't do anything until you kill that ghost monster boss and then everything kind of powers back up and you get a little bit of a sense. You find a Chozo statue buried deep within the ship, which huh. seems to indicate that this might be like a Chozo remnant, but you don't know. And it's it's just so cool that that's kind of just dropped in there and that this this world has room for this. Yeah. You know? It's like not even a huge, like, you wreck ship, it makes about 10 minutes of your game. It's small, a, it's small, small world space, game, but it's yeah. such a cool addition. Like, here, tell it, what's the story of this game, Steve? How, so, how, do, we get, how do we get where we pick, are? Here? Picking up from Metroid 2, Samus drops off the baby Metroid with the Galactic Federation lab. This is the first time, like, we're seeing text in game. We're seeing like, text, and we even get a little bit of dialogue, spoken dialogue. We get some, uh, the last oh, Metroid oh, is right. in captivity. Like, it's it's very cool. I love it. And they actually call the game Metroid 3 in the game. They don't call it Super Metroid, which is an interesting choice. Um, but so Samus drops off the baby Metroid at this, al- at this lab, 
And the scientists start studying it and they realize like they can use this kind of regenerative property that the Metroids have to heal diseases, to, to like solve some problems in the world. Uh, but it's not too long before Met Samus receives a distress signal from the lab. She returns, finds everybody dead, and Ridley is there with the baby Metroid in his hand. A very fucking cool reveal. You just yeah. walk into an empty room, and he's all in shadow, and then you just see his eye glint. You get this brief little battle that just kind of you know informs you how combat is going to work in the game. And then he takes off. You get this very intense, like... Uh, escape sequence where you have to run back through the place you just came through before the whole planet blows up. This is this is the first five minutes of the game. Yeah, uh, and then you realize you need to go back to Zebus, where Ridley is kind of trying to revive Mother Brain and reestablish the Space Pirates as their base. So you are kind of do- getting a do over of the plot of the first one. Like right. Space Pirates take a Metroid to Zebus, you need to fight Mother Brain and defeat it and go back. So it is kind of a do over. But this game opens up the world to a degree that we never saw in the original Metroid. Like we're seeing the surface world now. Yeah, we're seeing uh, that we've seen that there's water on this planet. We're seeing that there's uh, a whole other regions like buried down in the the depths that you never got to before. I will say though, for as much as I like this game, the water and specifically the other regions, Meridia. Mm-hmm. That, that, that level sucks. Meridia like, sucks. I feel like Meridia this sucks. game drops from like a 10 to like a 6 while you're there. It's a struggle. Because it's it's the same problem you get with like Ocarina of Time. It's like this game's a 10 until you get to the water temple and then you have to muddle through it and then you get back to the 10s, yeah, you know? exactly. Cause and it's it it's like I said, like that is kind of, this isn't a perfect game in that sense. Well, like you're I think, dicking around in the water. You run a lot slower until you get this special suit. And like the enemies there are just sort of uninteresting. They're like, there's a fish and yeah. crab men. And you're like, great, this is not exciting. And like the layout is just confusing. Very confusing. Right. And there's lots of like these waterfall, sand waterfalls you get trapped in. And then you have to go all the way down to the bottom and fight yeah. your way back up. And then you forget about the thing jumping out of the sand and it happens again. Whenever a game, like whenever the mechanic, something punishes you by making you move slower. Yeah. That's that's never good. No, like, hate it. Yeah. Hate every, it. Every, Walking through sand, don't, don't walking through water. Don't punish me by making me walk through the same area again slower. Yeah, not a big fan. And that's also a section where, well, so a, a very important innovation that this game has that kind of would come to define what a Metroidvania is, is that mini-map. Yeah. The mini-map that you expand on as you explore, it fills in. And sometimes you could find map stations where they fill it in for you and they just show you where you've explored. But they won't you show haven't. you all the secrets, even so. They won't show you the secrets. Some rooms will show you that there is an item here, but yep. that won't necessarily tell you how to get there. Uh, and it's very and smart because, yeah. like, the blue areas are like areas that you've already been to. And yeah. then, like, so if you see a red area, you're like, oh, I never, I need to go there because I have. It, it's like, it helps you if you get stuck. It's like, okay, I can go. I haven't checked there. One thing I noticed that is a problem with this game that I hadn't thought of before is you can only see the map in the area that you currently are. Yeah. So if you do get sort of stuck and you're like, oh, I feel like I need to backtrack somewhere, you can't like flip through the other layers of Zebus right. to see you can't like, be oh, in, like, where else Norfair do I need to go? looking at Brinstar. Yeah. 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 It, it, that can get a little frustrating too. Like it's it's an early like proto mini map and it would get refined in other games as you go but along. It still but it w- still works very well. It, it's still a night and day difference compared to like trying to play original Metroid. Like yeah. it it, cha- it it effectively changes the genre, I think. Like okay. and solidifies what a Metroidvania would come to be known as. 
Uh, we also get the ability to shoot in eight directions, which is awesome. Very, uh, awesome. very helpful. You get your shoulder buttons help you like aim at an angle so you can like shoot kind of at a slant while you're running, which is helpful for those little fleebity fleebs that are on the ceiling. There's always a lot of flying metro, flying weapon enemies in Metroid. So yeah, it's nice absolutely. to be able to aim a little better. I, when I was playing through the original Metroid, I just got to the point where I was just like, I'm just going to jump past all these enemies and just let them go past me because it's very annoying to try and shoot them out of the air. Yeah, I mean... They're just, uh, and again, with the organic level design, like there are all of these skills that you can find and unlock just like in original Metroid. Like, so we have, uh, uh, what are some new items here? We have well, so the, the grapple hook, which are uh, the grapple beam. Always, always we, a fan. We it's, love a grapple beam. It's a little, hook. I'm not crazy about the grapple beam in this game. It can be frustrating sometimes can to be. actually get the swing that you want. Um, I think a big one is your speed booster. Speed boost, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which is integrated in a lot of really, it does a lot of really cool things. And if you're into like, I'm sure if you're into speed running or this game in general, like the speed booster is like the item that gets you the wettest uh-huh. because um, it allows you to, and like the game teaches you this in a really smart way. You'll use the speed booster and you'll like fall down this pit and you're like, shit, now I'm in this pit. How do I get up? And then you go and you find this ostrich. Oh, okay. This is what I want to talk about. Okay. This guy, there, there are two little creatures. Yeah. In this game, there's a dac- a decora and an etacoon. Okay. So the decora is the bird-like one, and then an etacoon kind of looks like a raccoon. Okay. Um, these guys are they're hidden pretty well into the game. Like you, right. you can you can play the entire game and never see them, and they're the only indigenous life, like non-toxic indigenous right. life yeah, on the, not gonna fight the planet that's that aren't going to hurt you. You know, and I think they're surviving because they're so well hidden. Um, and basically, they're going to teach you a skill that you had already. Yeah. Like you but don't, you wouldn't have to, been covered because it wouldn't like the game wouldn't teach you. Otherwise. Right. Like, so the, the decora teaches you this super like jump thing where you, you charge up your speed boost by running and then you take a knee and then you fly up into you the like sky, store all your energy and then you can dash straight up or different direction. You can dash straight forward. Yeah. And there's a lot of the weirder secrets of this game are unlocked in the, that way by like storing your energy in just such a way and launching up at this exact angle to just get to unreachable spots. It's so cool. I mean, because this will shoot you all the way to the ceiling. Like you yeah. won't stop until you Samus's hit rock. head literally gets stuck in the ceiling. It happens. Yeah. And then the other, the Endicute is going to teach you the wall jump, uh, which is one of the most like precise and demanding parts of this game. That like was... mastering that wall jump. When I first was playing this game the very first time, I got caught in this pit with this Endicute, and I was watching him over and over, wall jump, wall jump, wall jump. And it's, it requires so much precision yeah. to get it exactly right. But once you learn it, it's it's like riding a bicycle. Like, I know it forever. Like, I can never not do a wall jump now. And you can do it from the very beginning. So this game isn't just like, like you're not just getting things to make you do better. It's teaching you how to be better throughout the game, Yeah, which is awesome. It's it, awesome that they built that in. It's I when I did a Google search for information about this game, one of the things that popped up was why is the wall jump so hard in Super Metroid? And I think that a lot of it is just that it's we're used to the Mario wall jump and it's just so much less forgiving. Like, yeah, and it, it's like the timing's not quite the same. You kind of have to jump to the wall, turn around and let Samus do the animation like she's looking the other way. Yeah. And then like you jump like it, it's a split second later than you think it would be. It, it's it's a very you're looking for a very specific pose that she's doing where she's kind of pressed on the wall like Batman. You know, yeah. this isn't like Ninja Gaiden where you can just boom, 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 right. boom. Like 
you know, it, it's a very simple kind of uh, means to an end. This is a precision skill that the game wants to teach you. And the fact that they hide it and give you like the special weird little sensei to teach it to mm-hmm. you just feels like a reward for like really exploring and really like digging into what this game has to offer. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just love that. That just shows like a real love for the game and for the characters and for the player to, to throw that in. Um, what are some of the other enemies we get here? We get the, or the, we get the power bomb, which is essential. I'm not, a room. I'm not crazy about the power bomb. That to me feels like a, pretty bland addition like because you're already getting super missiles yeah which again like they don't work mechanically in a much more interesting way than regular missiles they just can destroy green doors Mm. and they deal much more damage to bosses but you get a lot fewer of them so you feel like you need to aim more specifically but power bombs feel like very much that like oh we just need kind of another gatekeepy thing like another way to open a different kind of door but i wish that they found some other way to like use power bombs so like because they're not all that useful of weapons. And you, not I, necessarily. And you get like I, 30 of them, and you're like, I just kind of use these to open doors. Well, yeah, for me, I, I use them all. Yeah, you get a lot of them, which is kind of a, a weird thing for such a powerful item. Uh, but they, I, they, I, they never do anything against bosses. No, nothing against bosses. I mostly just use them for navigation and like for looking for little breakable blocks, you know, because they'll show you like, oh, yeah, it'll, yeah, it'll help me true. like remembering, uh, remember where items are and I won't have to just lay a whole bunch of regular bombs on the ground. You get a bunch more, um, beams in this game. I mean, I Metroid two sort of was a big step up. Original Metroid only had the wave beam and the ice beam. And right. you could only have one or the other at any given time. Wave beam wave is a beam, trap. Don't yeah. get the wave beam in the original Metroid. It wastes your time. Really? What is it? I don't know. I, I mean, it, it just goes up and down, but you need the ice beam to beat the game. Like, and since the wave beam replaces the ice beam, like you like just don't keep, even bother. Yeah, yeah, you just get the ice beam earlier anyway. Yeah, so. I don't know if I've seen the wave beam that because like it, it, it shoots it, like this. Oh, I see. So does it go through walls? Yes, like it, it does, does like go it, through okay, walls. Okay, so that that part's. The but same. eventually, you just get the screw attack, and then you just only use that. Yeah, um, you get an ice beam here too. You get yep. the, the spazer beam, which is back shoots, from shoots in three. three. This also has a wave beam, which has two that rotate, and then you have the plasma, mm-hmm. which was always very exciting to me. If you get like the plasma and wave at the same time, oh just, yeah. Like, shoot this giant beam of death. Those are great. And then uh, you get to charge your beam up as well and like mm-hmm. kind of unleash a more powerful one. And you get a special beam that you only use at the very last boss battle, which we, I also want to touch on. Are we going to spoil the last boss? Okay, look, people. I think we have hold, to. Hold on. Yeah, we yeah. do have to because this is a very old game. Go play Super Metroid. Just it's, go play it's, it. it's good. It's not, it's not super long. Like, it's not, it's not frustrating. No. There are... Okay. There are, there are two shitty parts in this game where it's easy to get stuck. There's I got stuck in one area where you have to just like bomb a power bomb a random area of Norfair to actually advance in the game. That's I, I feel like I like all the deep secrets in Metroid, but whenever you have to hit one to like, oh, here's this giant area that I needed to proceed in and it feels very hidden. Yeah. That's a little much. That's I only want like the secrets to be hidden. Yeah, not not clear progression. Like, yeah, yeah I, I think I got stuck in the same There's place. There's another really, really shitty part where you get stuck in Meridia or I think, and you're like, I don't know where to go. And you have to just walk through a wall. Mm-hmm. At some point, you get an x-ray scope in this game yeah. that you can use to, and it will show you when walls are fake or when you can destroy things. The x-ray scope does not work on this wall. No. You literally just have to know that you can walk through this wall to advance in the game. There are a few of those, And yeah. that part also sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, 
you know, there's no shame in being like, okay, I'm stuck. What happens next? Um, but like this game is awesome. And yeah. let's, yeah, let's talk about the ending. Yeah. So I'm, I am going to, yeah, we're going to spoil the ending a little bit because it's pretty iconic. Yeah. So like I said, the game has a pretty minimalist plot. We get these little cutscenes in the beginning and then everything else just plays out in game. So you get to the end and you, you, you're walking through this area where you're seeing a bunch of like enemies that you'd fought throughout the game, but they're all like petrified. They've all been like turned to sand essentially. And you're like, man, what, what did this? Which and then is, you, then you meet this giant Metroid Yeah, and you're like, shit, is this, this is the Metroid larva. Cause that's the only Metroid left. But you, when you, when the game started, it was in this little test tube and now it's huge and it like takes all of Samus's energy and you're like, shit, I'm going to die. Yeah. But then it like reveals, it doesn't kill you because it reveals, oh wait, this is it, the Metroid larva. Yeah. It seems to recognize you and then it flies away. Yeah. Uh, so you, you're finally, you make it down to mother brain and the fight initially is kind of just a repeat of the original Metroid fight. You're, you're shooting some missiles into the jar until it breaks open, shoot the brain until it explodes, which is like, it, it's very, it's cool to like see the same thing, but there's a sense of like, is this it? Like this was already kind of a weird boss fight before and it feels yeah. very lame on the super Nintendo. Yeah. I'm like, really? Okay. Well, that's fine. Um, so you beat, you beat mother brain this iteration and then the lava drains out of the room the glass shatters open on the jar and mother brain is a fucking dinosaur. Basically yeah, yeah. she's a giant dinosaur with a brain for a face and she has teeth now and do she you suffer lasers from face at you. brain. I do. Yeah. I often do. Uh, and she's just this massive unbeatable behemoth, you know? So you're shooting everything you've got she, like, at her. She powers up this eye laser and just decimates you yeah. with it. And you're like, shit, now I'm really going to die. Like I was playing the game the first time and I thought like, oh fuck, am I just done? Like, because she's got me in this tractor beam. I can't move. I can't fire anything. My health is depleting so rapidly. And finally you get down to one hit point. You get one hit point. Very cheesy, but very effective. Sure. Like it's just the, it's like the, the countdown clock stopping just yep. before it blows. And then you hear this screeching sound and the baby Metroid charges in here and fights Mother Brain off of you, drains its life, gives you the power, like the power of that eye beam. Yeah. And you use that to fight Mother Brain and kill it. And it, it kills the baby Metroid you get this in the totally, process. Totally, totally kick-ass beam that just like, ins- it's called the hyper beam. And yeah. it's fun if you go to uh, your inventory screen here all your beams will just be deactivated and it just says hyper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's so good. These enemies that like earlier in the game like just took a whole bunch of damage to kill, you just kill in one hit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with this. yeah. And every time you shoot Mother Brain with it, her head like goes flying back. Um, yeah, it's it's awesome. And it's very, you know, it's sad when she kills that baby Metroid. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, this is a thing like, again, like, it's it's a big gross monster, but if you played Metroid Two, this is going to be all the more impactful because this little baby thing has imprinted onto you. Then Samus feels responsible for it to a degree, and yeah, it attacked her earlier, but it stopped. Like it fought its own nature to stop, and uh, and then it saves your life. And it's kind of a it's a poetic way for it all to end, especially because the game is predicated on this idea of Samus being the great Metroid hunter, the one who. Right. Spent the whole last game wiping out this baby's species, and then it's going to go that one step further. And so she, you, you come away with a lot from it. It's it's minimalist, but it's also 
it, it it's cinematic and it just it pops and it's such a fun thing. And then we get another exciting chase sequence where you have to get out before yeah. the whole planet blows. And have we get you this ever cool failed to get out before the planet blows? I think they give you enough time that you'll always be okay. Yeah, they give you enough time, but they also never quite give you enough time that you feel leisurely about it. No, <laughs> that's it's a nice balance that they strike. Uh, I know. I, I feel like some people would probably be curious enough to wait around and blow up. It was I always stressing me out too much. I think I did at some point, and then it was just like, oh, no, I just got to go back and fight Mother Brain again. That's probably like, all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It just kind of stressed me out, the idea of it. But you you escape. You live to fight another day. And uh, holy shit, Super Metroid is so fucking good. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's really hard good. to overemphasize how good this game the is. The soundscape on it is really good, too. Yes. That's like another thing that's, like, this is one of those games that aside from just having really good music, the sound effects are all super good. Like, I don't know of any other game where, like, again, much like Mario, it's like every time you get hit, it makes a distinct noise. Your pickup of, like, gaining health is a distinct noise. Yeah. Like, it's a game that you can just, even if, I was in a different room. I'd be like, oh, you're playing Super Metroid out there, huh? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Just you just really pick it out. You could absolutely tell. I mean, uh, even if you don't play the game, you were talking about that plant boss in the early going. The music that plays during that plant boss sequence is so creepy. Yeah. Like, again, just very kind of Philip Glass kind of like plinking sounds, you know, but it, it makes your skin crawl because <laughs> it's this big, goopy plant monster spitting bugs at you. And, oh, so good. So yeah. good. Um, and you know, most critics of the time agreed with us. Like this was a big critical smash. Like I think IGN has had it in its like top 10 games of all time, multiple times. EGM called it the number one game of all time. Oh, wow. Uh, but that being said, this game was not actually a big hit. Huh? Uh, it sold about a million units in on, and on super NES. That's not bad, but like this puts it in like the, low 30s of best-selling games in the Super NES. Oh, wow, okay. Which, for an expensive kind of high-profile game like this, that seemed to indicate that Nintendo, it's like, oh, well, maybe this series doesn't really have the legs that we thought it did. And, you know, so then shortly after this game comes out, Gunpei Yokoi leaves the company, mm -hmm. and then he dies early, you know, and he was kind of the driving force behind it. So Metroid kind of goes dormant for eight years there was a time when Shigeru Miyamoto was going to spearhead uh, a version for the N64. Uh, and it never really got past the planning stages because they couldn't quite crack the N64 controller. Right. They couldn't quite figure out how this game was going to look and feel with this hardware. And, and, what, and then, what, what would that game have been? Like, that's the other that's question. Because the they would have pushed so hard to be like, okay, it needs to be in 3D. But I can't imagine, like, I feel like Mario works well in 3D because there's just not that much stuff going on in the right. world. But, like, Metroid, you want, like, a dense world with yeah. lots of enemies and lots of different nooks and crannies. And I feel like they couldn't pull that off in 3D at that time. And Nintendo, yeah, they, they probably wouldn't have attempted to do it in 2D. And even if they did, Symphony of the Night was on PS1 kind of eating Metroid's lunch a little right. bit, like... I, I can't imagine the N64 would be able to do a 2D game that looks as good and sounds as good as Symphony of the Night does. Agreed. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it kind of got uh, pushed to the back burner for a while. You know, we got a little taste of Samus on uh, Smash Brothers in 1999, right. the only time we're ever going to see her on the Nintendo 64. And then comes 2002, when Metroid has a pretty huge renaissance. Uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about on our next episode. Do we want to rank rank these games real quick i feel like after we made yeah. it through those james bond games that that was that was tough but i feel like these are all pretty rankable i think these are more rankable than those yeah, yeah. uh 
I, I wonder. I, I imagine we have the same rankings on this. But uh, yeah, we're, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Super Metroid is the best here because oh, yeah. the game, that game's incredible. Uh, mm. I like the original Metroid next. Okay, um, and then the game, the Game Boy One is just that game does feel a little homeworky to me. As it uh, like, it took me about three hours to beat that game, and sort of by the end, I'm like, all right, I'm pretty ready for this to be done. Whereas this, the the NES one holds up for See, me. Yeah, I, I wanted to bring in a hot take and kind of flip those second two, have like original Metroid be below Super Metroid or Metroid Two. But uh, I, yeah, I don't think I can honestly make that argument just because. Even putting aside like some of the game, but like I, I struggle with the gameplay in original Metroid, but it is so much more important and influential than Metroid Two is. I can't really see like it's just a much more engaging game. Like it's I think much that more the, the color palette and um the the music really just goes a long way it, yeah. it really i feel like that really dictates like the difference between graphical power and like art design yeah <laughs> you know what oh, i yeah, mean yeah, you're like yeah. yes this other game looks better but i would much rather look at this nes game yeah yeah i think i agree with that yeah. um so that's that's it for part one of what our metroid part. exploration we think this is going to be a three-part series and we are mixing up the chronology a little bit because for the next episode, we want to keep the Prime and the two Game Boy Advance games together. And then for the last episode, we have a couple of weird like Nintendo DS games that came out that are are they would they're technically they came out in between the Prime games, but I, we kind of want to talk about them as like these weird oddities for our last episode. Space oddities. Space oddities. Yeah. Oh, that's a better title. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that might be confusing. Might be confusing. <laughs> really um, mess up that SEO. Hey, I'm looking for a podcast about my favorite David Bowie album. <laughs> oh, this looks good. Hey, I, I, I'll welcome Bowie fans. Why <laughs> yeah, not? That's yeah, true. yeah, yeah. We welcome it. Well, thank you everybody for listening and for subscribing to our Patreon. We love it. We love doing this, and I'm excited to be getting into this Metroid series. Uh, you know what? You know what? You want to know a fun fact about me, Steve? What's that? I don't know if I've ever beat any of the Metroid Prime games, Ooh. and I have not even played two or three. So Okay, all right, I mean, all right. I, I, I really enjoyed these three games, so I'm excited to give those another shot. I, I at least want to challenge you to try and beat Prime, yeah. because uh, I still contend it has one of the hardest final bosses ever, but I, oh, interesting. I, I might be misremembering that, okay. so I don't know. I always got bogged down on the Gears of War boss. The gen- final final general Ram. Oh yeah, that so guy sucks. Hard. He sucks. Yeah, and the game's not even all that hard until you get yeah. to that guy, and then it's like fuck. Okay, um, yeah. So tune in next week. We're talking or uh, two weeks from now. We're talking yeah. Metroid Prime. If you want to hear us uh, shorter, then uh, encourage people to donate to Patreon.com/slash Ultra Sixty Four Pod. If we get up to the five four hundred dollar a month level, then we will make this a weekly show. Woo. We'll get through so many more games so much faster, and it'll be a lot of fun. So we'll see you next time on Ultra 64 DD and Kapu Kapu. Don't you make you feel like you make that Kapu Kapu sound like the end of a lot of episodes? I make it at a lot, a lot of and the end of a lot of my sentences. Kapu, oh kapu. yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, you, you're you like a Dracula. That. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>